You have just tuned in to the Child Welfare Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Cherish Fields, Master Level Social Worker and Child Welfare Leader. Here at the Child Welfare Leaders Podcast, we are challenging the status quo with authentic conversations about what you can do that will challenge the way you think, provide you with the knowledge to improve practice, spark the inspiration needed to lead against the status quo, and empower you to grow against the grain all while breaking the barriers in your way that will set a new standard of leading the change you desire to see in child welfare. Now, join me as we start the conversation. Welcome to those of you that have just tuned in. I appreciate all of your support. I am so excited about this episode today because I have a friend of mine that is our guest and you are in for a real treat. I'm just so excited for her to share her expertise um, with trauma. Um, And to honor Social Work Month, I really wanted to bring someone to the table to really talk about really not the table, but the microphone (laughs) to talk about something that affects us all, right? So a topic that affects us all, which um, when we work in the child welfare field, um, not only are we serving individuals that have endured trauma, but we're going to talk about a topic of how does that impact us as the professionals? Um, And I wanted to bring you um, expertise from a social work perspective. So uh, definitely want to welcome Leah Chapman. Leah, hey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Cherish, how are you? <laughs> I am good. I'm good. I'm so grateful that you joining us finally. Couldn't wait to get you on here, girl. No, oh, I am honored. Humbled for sure. Very much appreciative to be able to lend my voice to, you know, something that's so needed. Yes. And, you know, I've just enjoyed watching your journey. So just to tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, our friendship is we we actually met each other in uh, graduate school at the University of Michigan. So go blue to all the alum out there. Yes, yes, yes. yes. (laughs) Um, Leaders and the best, I have to add. We um, so we both had a passion for for youth and it was just something about Leah's spirit. Um, and really, really, we just stayed in contact and just I've watched her career evolve and she has stayed a fierce advocate for for youth and the children and really has been out here, you know, lending, you know, lending her expertise and speaking. So I'm going to let her share a little bit more about her and what she's doing in the field. Um, so Leah, please. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. And I think. We started in undergrad, like we've been rocking for a little bit now. Man, you know what? Uh, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're not dating ourselves, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> but um, you know, as as you stated, uh, have a history working along with youth. I feel like my entire life um has been lended to impacting the trajectory, the positive trajectory of Uh, youth and young adults. Um, And so once I got into the field of social work and became a clinical therapist, excuse me, I started my work along with the most, what one would consider the most marginalized populations, right? So I started out in substance abuse, working at a residential um, and detox facility. And I saw youth in those spaces as young as 17 years of age, they were battling with substance abuse, right? Independence, um, navigated out of that space. You know how it is in social work. We tend to seem like we're pretty transient, (laughs) um, but our, our purpose, our core purpose never changes, although the space may change. But I went from working along with substance abuse and dependence and started to work in juvenile justice. And I think that's where we kind of reconnected again, right, down there at Lincoln Hall of Justice, um, trying to really advocate for our youth and young adults that oftentimes are perceived as criminals, but it seems like the system oftentimes continues to miss the mark. They don't see them through the lens of uh, youth that have incurred 
a measure of trauma, whether singularly or a complex level amount of trauma, they miss the mark on that. So I've done a lot of extensive work working along in juvenile justice. Um, currently, I work in community mental health along with youth and family systems. So, you know, it seems like in my life, God just keeps circling me back around to be able to help our babies um, deal so with needed. the pain. Yeah, yeah, just dealing with their pain. So, yeah, that's just a little bit about myself. I've been in the field over a decade now, and and it, it's my purpose, yeah. That's why, and... You have your own business. You are a business owner. <laughs> I do. I do. I have my own private practice, um, Intervene LLC. And I, again, focus more so on working with the adults in that space, right? Because a lot of times we're spinning our wheels trying to assist the children and they're doing good, but they got to go back home to the parents that aren't doing so well. So intervene. I work more so along with adults. I work along with social systems, with training um, and consulting work and helping to make some shifts to a space of a more trauma informed space. Um, and I also look at corporations at large. So starting with leadership, um, there's a phrase, cheers, that they say, right, the fish rots from the head, right? And so we have to look at dealing with those that are the authority, helping them to heal so that the children that are coming along can have a better outcome than what we're seeing. That's so good. That's so good because that is so true. We'll get the kids to a place and not necessarily have been able to reach the adults. So I feel like, yeah, more services in that area is totally needed. But I am grateful for you and I'm grateful for what God is doing in your life and that um, I get to be connected to it and that my listeners are the beneficiaries of that because you are just, he's just launching you right away, you know, and you're speaking and I'm seeing you do things. So, but we are going to get right into our topic today. We are going to talk about secondary trauma and how it reveals itself in child welfare professionals. So Leah, you know, one of the things that we have seen in the field is that, you know, that's a few things we've seen. Sometimes we encounter people that just seem checked out, like they just don't care. And you try to like bring good energy, you know, and just say, you know, hey, yep, I'm excited about working, you know, together to really help this child, um, you know, progress in their treatment and help this family. Um, and you try to work with them and let me know what I can do to support you and help you. And they just don't respond. You know, they're yeah. very um, non-effective, really short with you. Um, and it just, it appears, okay, it appears that maybe some just don't care. Um, but what I realize is that that's not exactly true. There's there's something else deeper at play um, for many professionals that, one, we're not talking enough about. Two, I'm not sure that the resources are um, necessarily in the limelight as much as it needs to be so that people can access resources to deal. Um, and I think we need to talk about that. And I think that we should share with the listeners five ways that secondary trauma reveals itself in us as those that work in the field. And what can we do about it? Yeah, I mean, secondary traumatic stress is, like you're saying, something that is oftentimes not talked about. Like when you begin in, you know, your, your educational journey, you often hear like engage in self-care, right? And then you would hear the snickers <laughs> from your instructors as they're telling you what it is that you need to do. And that brought, at least for me, I don't know about you, but that brought about a measure of confusion. I'm like, okay, are you telling me that this is something that is so vastly important for my success, right? My continuation within the field, and yet you chuckle. 
as if it is something that is so far out of reach, but right yet still is necessary. So um, I would say that secondary traumatic stress is the continued exposure to pain, right? So as we're out here in the field and we're working with these children, and, and I don't know, well, actually, I do know about you because we talk often, um, but I'm not certain about your entire listening audience. But when you work with children that have dealt with trauma, it just does something to your heart. It does something to your spirit. It weighs very, very heavily. And so when you're looking at um, the literature, right, those that are known for doing trauma work, the studies are sharing with us that, A, we should only have about 10 trauma clients, like 10. But we know that if we're working in the foster care system, juvenile justice, community mental health, like you might have 40, 50, 60 plus cases. So what is that doing to you as the clinician, as right the, the human service um, individual, the helper? What is that doing to you having to hold all of this various amount of pain? Well, what it's doing is it's really breaking you down from the inside out. And most times we don't even recognize the symptoms of secondary traumatic stress. So I know that when we were debriefing about, you know, you bringing me on to the podcast and wanting to kind of discuss this, I wanted to share with your listening audience, right, some of the areas that they might want to check in on, right? Like mm-hmm. we have symptoms in the body, we might get some pain in our tooth, we definitely going to go and run to that dentist yep. because it is unbearable right well we're having some subtle things that's happening with us that's unbearable let's say we married right you married i married your listening audience if not married you have a significant other and the romantic right area of your life is declining so so i'm kind of coming into unorthodox ways right the romantic area, right? The libido decreases. You love your mate. You really want to be there for him, but you cannot avail yourself in right a romantic way, in a sexual way. When you're dealing with secondary traumatic stress, chairs, it actually attacks your sex drive. Mm. It wears it out. I got to be real. My husband yeah. was like, look, Leah, what's going down? What's happening? You ain't used to be like this. What's going on? And I had to sit with myself and say, wow, I think I am under, right, a whole lot of stress from the organization as well as holding the pain of the children that I work with. So that's one area, right? You have another area where you start to feel like you're getting what I like to call adult ADHD, right? You start to getting restless. You have a lack of focus, right? Hard to attend to certain things. Find that you can't even get your work done, right? They like, hey, your productivity. Hey, your paperwork, your notes, your this, your that is not being met. Well, the supervisors don't stop to think that, hey, maybe because of all of the workload that your your employee might be dealing with secondary traumatic stress. You also find, right, that this apathy, right? You were talking about how sometimes when, you know, people begin to, to work in this area of human services and they meet up with the long-term vets in the, in the system and they seem kind of jaded. Well, apathy is another part of secondary traumatic stress. You start to not have anything good or kind to say because you're just worn out completely. So that's another area. 
sometimes you might find that you start having skin irritations. Again, I'm, I'm just kind of like putting out the things that's not common. We often hear about, right, depression and feelings of sadness and sleeplessness and, you know, tight muscles. Those sorts of things seems common. But I, I wanted to highlight the stuff that's that not so common. You'll yeah. start having skin problems. Mm. Right? Yeah. Skin irritations. Like, what in the world? That means that the stress that's within the body is now starting to cause, right, inflammation and those sorts of things. And it's coming out through your pores. That's deep. That is deep. We don't talk about it, right? The physical or the somatic symptoms. We don't talk about that, but it's real. We'll talk about it about our clients, but we won't talk about it within ourselves and within our agencies. And so I know you said like five of them. So I'm going to go ahead and give you probably one more. We find a lot of times when we start having secondary traumatic stress that we ourselves begin to mimic what our clients may be doing, right? And so some of our clients engage in in substance use. We will begin to see a heightened increase of substance use within ourselves. Maybe that little glass of wine at night, now it's every night that you need it. Now it goes from one glass to multiple glasses. In some, it may be I need to wake up in the morning and right engage in some sort of a substance just to get myself going, to motivate, to tolerate. All of these are different signs of secondary traumatic stress. And just because you are the profession that you are and people are tuning in, if you got a bonus one, let's hit them with a bonus one. You want to hit them with a bonus? Hit them with a bonus. <laughs> so I would tell you, and, and this is kind of deep, right? We find that when a person endures secondary traumatic cell, um, symptoms, right, that they start to have a diminished sense of self-efficacy. So they can't even show up strong, but they're expected to show up strong and to teach and train and model for their clients. So if we're the model and we don't show up strong, right, we can't self-actualize. How are we giving this to our clients? Are we doing a disservice to those that we call ourselves assisting when we are diminishing in our own self-efficacy? We got to be truthful and honest with ourselves. We have to check in with ourselves. And if you are experiencing, talking to your listening audience, talking to myself and you, Cheers, like Mm -hmm. if we are experiencing any of these things, we need to check in and be honest and say whether or not this work has become too heavy and we need to take a break. And it's okay to care about yourself and, you know, take a break. We got to care more about ourselves. And I know it sounds bad, but we do have to care more about ourselves than we do about our clients. When you fly in, they tell you if this airplane is to go down, you put your mask on what? First. First. Mm -hmm. We got to do it in the work. Man, that is good. That's good. And I know these are not talked about. So this is this. These are some gems right here because. You know, I think that a lot of what you said, I don't even know if it's ever been brought. I've never been a part of anybody who's brought up these uh these six because we gave you a bonus, y'all. Um, <laughs> six ways that secondary trauma reveals itself. And I want to kind of talk on, take it a little bit further with these six things. Not only what Leah was saying is being honest with ourselves, but also looking and sitting back and reflecting in social work, we talk a lot about reflection, right? And doing our own inner, our own inner work, right? Inner reflecting of our work, our practice, um, and even, you know, our clients and what we've done, you know, with them um, in terms of their treatment and so on and so forth and how we show up as professionals. And so one of the things to sit back and honestly, I want you to reflect on if you have a journal or um 
any way that you might get out your work, but I would encourage people to sit back and take some time to do what Leah is saying. It's like, reflect on these six things. Are these six things showing up in you? Um, and I don't, I don't care if you're a judge, a lawyer, um, a foster parent, a direct care professional, um, a foster care worker, adoption worker. If you work in the child welfare field, and um, and that's including even those that are working in the juvenile delinquency um, and juvenile justice system, you gotta you gotta check in, like she said, with yourself and just start to reflect. How are these things re- revealing itself? And furthermore, if it is showing up in you. Leah, talk us through of how these things can impact what we do. Like, how does that impact our clients? (laughs) Oh, it has a significant impact, a negative impact. Um, Again, I often tell people, if you aren't well, right, you you cannot, you, you don't have the capacity to pour into anyone else. And so if you're presenting on a daily basis and it may seem um, lackluster, right? It may seem um, as if you are disengaged. It may seem, again, that you're very much jaded and um, you don't have the empathy anymore. When you're working with youth, they need solid objects in their lives, Right. They need someone that they can have positive, safe and secure attachment with. That's a part of our education for them. That's a part of our modeling to them. If we can't show up like that, then it will keep that child at a distance. Right. It will impede the rapport that you're building, it will impede their level of trust. If they're already dealing in a tra- or living within a traumatic space, right? We already know that that is already having um, an adverse um, like reaction towards healthy attachment. That's what children need to grow. That's what we need as human beings. But if they're not getting it at home and then they come to you and they're looking at you as this positive adult in their lives and they can't even get it from you, then where do they turn? So, again, it it is the continued need to check in. And if you are showing up as one that is being honest with yourself and saying like, hey, I don't have it then be honest enough to say, I need to step away from this so that I don't do harm. We should be engaging in harm reduction, but a lot of times we stay in this for a paycheck, right? We, we still got to pay our bills. We don't want to, you know, let our families down. Well, that's pretty selfish. You can go to Costco and get a job and, and, and right care for your family. But when you have the lives of, of hurt children that's looking at you and depending on you to assist them as a bridge to where it is that they need to be further along in their lives and you can't show up for them, you need to move out the way. And that's just being real. Okay. Listen, this is good. This is what we've done. This is what we're talking about. This is what this podcast is about is authentic conversations. And I want to, I want to take what Leah is saying because, and I'm going to put it in context as, at context of someone who has formerly been in the foster care system. You know, as a child, I can't reflect back on positive experiences that I had with, you know, workers really in the field um, when I was in kid, when I was, you know, really young, because, People really didn't show up. You know, you could tell people didn't really like their job, you know, mm-hmm. and I thought as a child, I internalized that something was wrong with me. Yeah. So when when you as a professional are showing up, whether you're, again, an attorney, a, um, a the worker, 
you know, um, a caring professional who works in residential, when you are not showing up, like Lee is saying, and you're not recognizing signs of secondary trauma, you're transferring your trauma um, from what you've experienced in the field onto that child. And it's, it's affecting them because then it's almost like, I like to say, like um, a child who goes and experiences their parents having a divorce. What is the first thing that that child does? They internalize that they did something to cause that. Exactly. So, yeah. so when I was a child, I always thought that I caused people to behave the way they did to me. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm the reason why they're acting that way. I'm the reason why people didn't show up or they had an attitude or they were cussing at me or their interactions. So when we don't recognize, we don't prioritize ourselves, then we ultimately are actually a catalyst, you know, in inducing trauma in children. Oh, Um, yeah, you're definitely imposing pain, Cherish, for sure. You are imposing, like, you, you are adding to... The problem, and the, and, and I, I appreciate you for this because this is a real conversation um, that people within the field need to have. Because a lot of times we displace blame, and we don't like to engage in a measure of self awareness. But if you're going to do trauma work, right, mm-hmm. to fidelity of that model of trauma work, then you have got to be self aware. Yeah. Right. The, the, the literature tells you that children are so attuned to the affect of people. Right. Like if yeah. you got a smile, they are very right attuned to that. And then it has to be filtered through if maybe someone that had done harm to them smiled at them. Right. So they got to be able to to figure out what that is. That's the same with a scowl. <laughs> right. If yeah. you're not presenting with a smile, they are so attuned. And so literature says that an angry face or, you know, a face that that is the void of softness. Children back up off of that for show, for show. So if you're already tired and woke up on the wrong side of bed, you sick and tired of this workplace, you hate it. And then you got to go over here and deal with this kid. That kid don't want to deal with you or that child, excuse me, does not want to engage. And then you want wonder, or you want to say, Oh, this child, you know, they, they're disengaged. And so now you're writing it up on the reports. Mm, <laughs> and not girl, hold trouble. up, girl, wait, wait, wait. So you didn't touch on something. You didn't went there. So yes, that, that is so real. So I have seen people, I've witnessed it because again, I've worked in this field and I've worked along with people and I have watched and I've, I've watched people purposefully and it's honestly rare that you find workers that do come in happy and excited to see their youth, you know, and visit their youth. You see a lot of people who show up because they have to, or they feel like, um, I just need to check this off the box, you know, so for my month, you know, so I can be done with this and move on to the rest. And you hit on something though, where it's like, if you cannot recognize your own trauma and how you've been impacted, um, by the work or like you said, that trauma is that continuous exposure to pain. If you cannot recognize that, what happens too is that you go in and you have this attitude or this disposition or this lack of affect with this kid, which is also giving them a bad experience. And I want to break something down to people too. Kids have a memory that either you on the right side of their story or the wrong. Meaning for me, for instance, right. I share my story, but what I am sharing that's connecting back to what Leah is saying. I'm sharing that I had a bad experience with foster care workers. I didn't have a good one. So though the system says, hey, we intervene into families' lives to keep them safe and protected, you know, and take care of their well-being, my well-being was not taken care of in foster care because I encountered numerous people that just seemed or appeared that they did not care. 
And what right. I'm recognizing as a professional who's worked in this field, I had to recognize, I used to be, I'll be honest, I used to be angry a little bit, like, why are these people coming through here and don't care? But then I had to step back and say, I don't think it's that. I'm realizing like, wait, I made an assumption. I don't mm-hmm. think it's that folks don't care. I think people are hurting because they oh, have yeah. been disappointed by the barriers that the system presents and they're frustrated and they're angry and they grow up, that anger, that sadness, one, they've been deeply saddened. They have turned yeah. into anger and that anger has made them numb that then manifests them and how they behave and Perform. interact and engage with yeah, yeah. children and their families. Okay. And yeah. so what happens, which is what I want to say is that when people don't recognize it, they tend to place blame on the kid and you kind of hit on that a bit. And I want people to step back and really reflect on this because this is going to be, when I say we got to be the change that we want to see, and I want to inspire you that you can lead change where you are. This is what I'm talking about right here. Change in the system starts with you when you can recognize what, what you have experienced and deal and manage those things and kind of evaluate what's best for you and how you need to show up in the work, right? And so this is not an indictment on anybody. So anybody who's listening, don't feel like, wow, she, you know, don't feel like we are, you shouldn't feel condemned, but if you feel convicted, Okay, (laughs) that's okay. That's not a negative thing because hopefully you're hearing something that you haven't heard before that can help equip you um, with new knowledge to do something different. Right. Or to recognize it as you continue your the course right of your journey in child welfare. Um, And so understand that it is so easy to place blame on a child because they already have a history right, of things, behaviors that are showing up because of their trauma. But nobody's writing on you. So understand, please be mindful what you write before you write it and make sure that it's truly um, a true evaluation of that child and not your own showing up and basically being transferred onto that, on that kid. Because that kid, hence I've been that kid, who has received documents from her case file that placed labels on me that should have never been on me. Yeah. Because people fail to understand trauma, how it impacts them, and even how their trauma may have transferred onto me and the lack of care and concern that I received, as well as, of course, my own history of trauma with, you know, the people that I lived with and so on and so forth. But it's very real. So I hope everyone is listening because this is this is such an important topic that we, that we need to hear more about. Um, yeah, but it's it's one hundred. Yeah, yeah, and I would like to add too, Cherish. Like, <laughs> although we know as clinicians we have you know ethics and such that we must adhere to. But some of, again, we got to remember it's human beings that have written, right, mm-hmm. these rules and regulations. And when we're talking again about this secondary traumatic stress, we are really receptacles of pain. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when we're looking at, you know, being, again, a licensed social worker practicing in the field, we're often told, right, do not disclose or be mindful of what it is that you disclose. So if you're sitting there in space with someone and they're presenting, um, you know, they're emoting in that space like they raw, and you have to sit there Right. With this very stoic look rising above, like I'm strong. I'm, and, and you can't be human with them at that time. Then you carry in more than what you should. Right. So now they're starting to talk about. And again, they, they haven't switched up any of the ethics. Right. Other yeah. than about in DBT, DBT, I would say, is probably the one modality that allows for clinicians to have more transparency um, about their lives as they work along with their clients. 
Um, it's a beautiful joining methodology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, all in all, they have been switched up on this thing regarding the um, disclosure and how much you should and, and really kind of holding back on that. But I would say that, again, the system, the way it's created helps to keep us bound up and holding on to a lot of the stress that we could release in session. So when we talk about secondary traumatic stress, there are models now that's emerging where um, C-CERT is one of the models where they're looking at how can a clinician take care of themselves more so in the moment, not waiting for vacation time, three months, six months, a year down the road, right? How can you take good care of yourself and your client in the moment, like every day, multiple times throughout the day? Um, I think that we need to begin to adopt more of that so that these conversations that we have can be streamlined and our children can receive the, the most out of working along with their, um, their workers or their clinicians than what they're getting. So that looks like, you know, you might be sitting there with a, a particular young person that's um, upset and they don't realize, right, their primary emotions just yet. They're angry, they're upset or or they're having a lot of anxiety and, and panic and hyperventilating in the moment, like literally going through some mindfulness exercises, some progressive relaxation techniques, some deep breathing, doing that in the moment not only helps your client, but it helps you. So literally going through it instead of just teaching it again, you're modeling it, right? Yep. Um, having a difficult time out of the day with one of your clients, they having a tough time, get up, get out of the office and go for a walk, get some sunlight, get some fresh air, get some bicameral movement, meaning both sides of your body are moving. So now you're unlocking the traumatic brain, right? Mm-hmm. So your client is getting that benefit, you're getting that benefit, right? So there are various things that we can be doing in the moment instead of looking at what we do months and months and months or what we got coming or, you know, trying to make it to that final day. No, take care of yourself now. Yeah, and I can attest to a lot of that working. Like when I when I'm working with youth directly, um, sometimes our conversation is like, Hey, you know, Miss Cherish, can we talk? I'm like, yeah, let's go on a walk. And we would yeah. like walk and talk and it was good for them. And it was, you know, it was good for me too. Cause as I'm receiving all, <laughs> all of this, that right. walking helped. Um, and there has been times where kids have been, um, elevated in their emotions and, you know, you practicing that with them does help kind of bring even some of your stress of what they're carrying down and calms you. So honestly, you feel like you can give them more, you know, as they process through. So I do have had a small bit of experience um, with the benefit of that and how that, like a lot of people ask me, number one question people ask me is like, how do you balance, you know, working in, all that I do for the system and then being able to, you know, go home. Right. And I'm yeah. like, I really don't, <laughs> I don't take it home with me. And it doesn't mean that I cut it off, but my attitude and my perspective, I have been able to really manage. And I'll be honest, a social, I got a, I have a, a therapist that I talk to. Right. So I, I have help. <laughs> <laughs> that I keep on a regular basis, okay? Um, because I understand that's that self-care. And I have also balance um, in other activities that I participate in that keep me well, right? So I, yeah. I find that in, in that balance to um, make sure that all that I have experienced personally and professionally doesn't play into my work, you know? Yeah. Or, and if there's things that do come up, I'm fully aware of it and I handle it. You know, I yeah. deal with it. I manage it. So as we're going into this, um, Leah, so people are like, okay, 
you know, if they're listening, they're like, all right, I see all these things. Wow, I got some reflection to do. Um, oh, these are really great. You know, people are probably responding like, oh, these are great. I never thought about this before. But what is it that I can do? So you talked a little bit about some of the models. Um, and then I do want to insert this. One of the models, I, I, I understand what you're saying with like some like the ethics and things that. But I'll be honest, as someone who's been through the system, you're right. I wish people could um, disclose a little bit more because people who changed my life who were clinicians were people who showed me that they were human too. Yeah. I benefited mostly from people who didn't just focus on me. They focused on me, but there was like this share, this transfer, this exchange of, no, you're not crazy. You've been through this. And listen, I've been through it as well. So it didn't make me feel so alone in my experiences that I wasn't just having a foster care experience. My circumstance just led me in foster care. However, I was really having a human experience. Yeah, right. Yeah. That that things, trials and tests and things come. Unfortunate events happen. Right. Um, yeah. There's hurt and pain that we all go through with within our families or our circles or in life in general. Right. So it wasn't it was it was an experience in those moments with those people who were transparent with me um, as they were helping me to help me to realize like it wasn't solely just me isolated in this box of foster care and there's something that wrong, right? And broken and cherished. This just, it appeared that way because that's sometimes how I feel like foster care is, is set up. But yeah. these, these professionals helped me to realize that, no, you're just, you're having a human experience. You just so happen yeah. to be placed in foster care. And that liberated me on a whole new level. So um, if people... Yeah. You know, if they're able to, I'm attest to the fact that it's so beneficial if you can some way help your clients feel belonging. You know, um, there is appropriate time. There's, you know, of course, inappropriate times to disclose certain things. So you got to be professional about it and maybe, you know, talk to your supervisor to get some call about that. But um, I know judges who have even shared certain things to help like, hey, listen, you can, you know, have a future. Yeah. You can do A, B, C, and D because, hey, I've happened in my family. Oh, okay. So that relatability is something that, you know, goes deep and does help. Um, but Leah, mm-hmm. I want you to share with um, the listeners here is what can we do? Because I think that's the next step. All right, you gave me all this information, but how do I manage? What are, what are some tools that I could do to deal with this? Because what if I, I want to assume that my the listeners who are tuning in are people who really are passionate about the field, they feel called to the field, or they're kind of just starting into the field and more so want to stay here, but maybe they have been told horror stories. Maybe they're a little nervous or maybe they just don't know what to do, but they're hearing this and they're like, oh, okay, great. But they kind of need some tools on what do they do next? Yeah, yeah. Step one is is, is get honest. I tell my clients that, right? Like, yep. I cannot really help you if you conceal information like um i need for you to be honest other than that we're dancing around some things right and of course it takes time don't get me wrong uh, many of the clients are coming in uh <laughs> with trust issues right right um so all in all it, you still have to get there Right. So we know that there are stages of change. We know that. Right. People start out with the pre-contemplative. Right. They, they're they're good. And that that means us. Right. In the mm-hmm. field. I'm straight. I'm good. Ain't nothing wrong with me. I got this. Right. And then if you start doing your own research and checking in to write the symptoms of secondary traumatic stress. Like you, you kind of know that there's this heaviness, like your body speaks to you. We know this, right? Don't ignore what your body is saying to you. For me, Cherish, I know when I'm at my peak of stress, my shoulders and neck goes buck wild do you hear me like it is so tight and so tense and stressed and and I'm trying to like move it up and massage it out and and I know then I need right to definitely definitely assess what's going on in my life right now 
Where can I make some adjustments in my life? Who can I call on as a support system, right, in my life? These are the things that honesty allows for you to see. Because you won't see if you continually tell yourself that there's nothing wrong. If you find that you're complaining a lot about the work that you do, instead of finding the wins or the joys, something is probably going on. Speak with your supervisor. Be open, honest, transparent. And I know sometimes that's very difficult because there's this worry of losing your job, right? If I'm honest with them, they'll think that I'm a failure. So again, self-awareness, um, the thoughts of being superhuman, right? We, we have to begin to let those things go and allow ourselves to be just as human as those that we serve, just as human as right those that are in admin in our places of employment. If you are in private practice, allow yourself to be human and take some time to heal. Yeah. And it may look like taking a break. It may be going on a sabbatical, right? It yeah. may be the need of going to get your own therapist, especially those that are in private practice, going to get your own therapist and having someone you know, that that's there to assist you through this process so that you can get back to a healthy space of moving forward because avoidance, which is one of the biggest symptoms of trauma, of course, if we're dealing with secondary traumatic stress, a part of that we're getting, if we avoid our reality, right, we're destined to crash and burn. And when we look at burnout, um, cheers, I was looking at some stats <laughs> the other day um, that was dealing with like the pandemic mm -hmm. and the increase of stress and anxiety um, and burnout within social workers. And it was startling. It said that um, it was about 70 plus percent of emotional exhaustion of where social workers are today. Because we know that, right, we're in a mental health crisis right now. The world is hurting. The world is in disarray. The world is going through anxiety and depression from being separated from loved ones and, 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 and right, a decrease in physical touch and all of these different things people are hurting emotionally and so we're still out here as frontline workers right we're essential yeah. and we're ignoring ourselves because we've been trained even before we became social workers and this is a whole nother topic right yeah we have been uh groomed i would say molded into caring for others before ourselves that's yeah. just what we do and so this is why burnout is so like <laughs> prevalent within our field, our profession. And so when I saw those numbers, they was like 70 plus percent of emotional exhaustion. I can dig it. Mm -hmm. I can feel it. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. But I also have a plan. And so my plan, Cherish, my husband and I, we take a vacation every three months religiously and I don't care right I don't care who likes it I don't care who has you know opposition towards it and when I leave that one trip before we go we've planned our next mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be some elaborate excursion mm -hmm. it's just downtime so that I can breathe again and I can see the sunshine and I can right experience mm -hmm. peace and quiet because our minds are always going, right? Yep. Then it also talked about, which was kind of crazy in that particular study, it said that there was like a depersonalization, like almost an, an, an out-of-body type of experience that's happening 
that's almost at 50 percent. That was deep. Wow. Right. And that is it's a a psychological like that's mental um, stress at its best. Yeah. Where you are depersonalized in your body. Mm -hmm. That's not okay. And so, again, I would say, you know, stop, sit with this, be honest with what your body is saying to you, listen to it, and then make a plan of some practical, measurable, and attainable steps, right? Mm. We talk about SMART goals, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) We want to put those into play and honor where you are so that you can continue to do the work. If not, you will burn out. Your clients are going to hurt. And overall, systems will fail and become defunct because you are not putting yourself first. That's so good. And I can I can tell you that I think the biggest obstacle, um, or maybe the second biz- biggest obstacle, I think the first biggest obstacle to some of this is the lack of awareness. But I think the second biz- biggest obstacle is probably the shame and guilt of putting yourself first, thinking that you're going to fail your families. And I think you kind of touched on it earlier. So just want to encourage people who are listening, like you don't have to feel guilty or feel shame for saying, I need to take care of me. Leah, maybe you could share with the listeners how, when you go on your visits, like how do you leave your caseload? Like, what do you do to prepare people to let them know you're going to be out of the office for a bit and that you'll be back and just like different things like that. Cause I, I find that, you know, sometimes people just leave and that could be traumatic too. Like, wait, where's, where's my worker? So how do you do that with making sure that you stay, um, connected and and help people kind of understand that you need to step away for a minute? So there's a couple of things, you know, that I'm thinking of as you ask this question. First, we have to be mindful and make certain that we have professional attachments, right? Mm -hmm. There are many that get into the field and not just social work. I look at this um, as I work along with uh, law enforcement Many get into the field because they want to rescue themselves, (laughs) Mm. right? They want to rescue the child within. Someone didn't show up for me when I needed it. Someone didn't show up for my mother, my father, my brother, right? Whomever, Mm -hmm. my loved one. And so now I am here to vindicate. I'm here to rescue. Mm. So first we've got to look at our why and put that in proper perspective, Because if we're out here rescuing self and we don't realize that this job is not rescuing the young you, then you definitely will not be able to put on the brakes. Okay, so that's that's number one. Then you have this other notion of they can't live without me. That's not true. That that's definitely a fallacy. And I often tell individuals they were living long before they met me. They figured it out. So I can take respite and come back and trust and believe. I would say 99.9% of them will still be here thriving the best way they know how. Sometimes we think that we have the best way for them to live and we forget that the answers are within the clients. Right? They have it. We're just there to help bring it out to help guide, right? Yep. And so the acknowledgement that they are their own answer will allow you to go take care of yourself and be your answer. Where are you? I need you to say that one more time. The acknowledgement of what? (laughs) (laughs) Look, that that hit something right there. I was like, yes, she said that. Say that one more time so that we can hear you in the back. (laughs) No, I mean, like literally the acknowledgement that they are their own answer. They have it within. We're just there to help bring it out. Let them see it. This is why we do mirroring, right? Like like that's all we're here for. We're not here to be their savior because we can't save. So we're going to let them be their answer while we be our answer. Yes, that is and so go good. And take care of ourselves. 
Let me tell you, I wish I wish this was visual because then I could just take the mic and drop it right there. Because that was <laughs> that was a whole mic drop experience. So that is so good. And, and that that translates to if you are working um, with the child, you know, in residential care, if you're working with the child, um, you know, as a as a foster care outpatient. worker, yeah. outpatient, directly in the clinical standpoint, however you work with children, that definitely can be applied. So I don't want you to feel left out or anything because that is that that's a that's just a whole word. OK, that's just that's a whole <laughs> word. Um, and so we gonna wrap on that because that right there. That was good. Um, <laughs> and I feel like <laughs> I know I am even encouraged by listening to all of this um, and just receiving it for myself. So I know it's going to be beneficial to the listeners out there. Um, you know, I just want to encourage everybody who's out there working in the field. You are appreciated. I know we don't hear that enough. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have Leah on here because this is social March is social work month. And I wanted to bring you another social work perspective because everyone knows I'm a master level social worker. I'm a child welfare leader, but Leah also has worked with uh, youth and she's a social worker and she has a very strong expertise and trauma. And I know that many of us who are in the field, if you've been in the field long enough, I mean, honestly, after a year, you have experienced what she said, a continuous exposure to pain of other individuals. And it can play on you. Um, It can affect you. It can impact you in your work. And we just want you to be knowledgeable of it, to recognize it and be honest with yourself. So just want to encourage you, understand that what you do daily is so important and it's so needed. And the kids, they do need you to show up as your best self that you can offer that day. And that's something that we have to continuously um, evaluate for ourselves is how can we, what do we need to put in place to show up as our best selves, our healthy selves, um, to make sure that we're impacting others' lives in the best possible way to help them be their own answer, right? Um, (laughs) So whatever you need, don't be scared to ask for it. Don't be scared to go get it um, because we need people like each of you to show up in your best self. That is the way we're going to change the system, honestly. If we have more people develop an awareness, be honest with themselves, and always reflect and evaluate to improve how they show up, I'm telling you, it would be a game changer. In addition to shifting their perspective, we don't have to wait on a policy. We don't have to wait on a law. We don't have to wait on people in Congress to make decisions in order to make the system better. Change can start right here and right with you. Um, And so I just want to thank our guest, Leah, for joining us on this show today and dropping these gems because they truly will they truly will be something that shines inside of you and helps you be better as a professional. Um, to all the social workers out there, I just want to say happy Social Work Month. Thank you for being who you are and what you do. Um, and then all the child welfare leaders and professionals, you know, thank you also, you know, for showing up and contributing to the system and to the lives of children and their families. Um, and Leah, just thank you for being you and for allowing God to lead you in the direction that he has and for us being able to cross paths I'm truly grateful um, if there's a way that people can follow up connect with you follow you and all that you're doing out there in the field can you just share with us ways uh, to stay connected to you sure sure thank you so much and again I am beyond honored to have had this time with you on your podcast uh, thank you thank you so much um For the listening audience, I want to say before I give you my information, honor yourselves. This is, like Chair said, Social Work Month. Honor yourselves even beyond March. Yes. (laughs) Truly, yes. Let you be seen. Okay, let you be seen. Um, Now, as far as, you know, ways to get in touch with me, I'm on probably every social media platform that's out. 
You could find me, Leah Chapman, on Facebook. My business, I also have a business page, Intervene, and that's capital N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, E-R as in Rabbit, E, V as in Victory, E, N as in Nancy, E. Um, And that, again, is the name of my business. My website, if you want to um, reach out to me through that means, it is www.intervene.com. Again, N-T-E-R-V-E-N-E.com. You can find me on Instagram, Leah Chapman, or Intervene. So, yeah, again, any platform basically that's out there, those two ways. You can also email me at intervene at gmail.com. And my business number is 734 area code. Four eight zero eight zero six five, and I am here to assist in any way um, that will best bolster um, your ability to continue to serve humanity and show up as strong as God intended for you to. So, thank you so much again, Cherish. It has been my pleasure. Um, Thank you so much. And for the listeners, thank you uh, for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I do want to encourage you. A free way to support us is to share on social media platforms. Let people know what you're listening to. Let them know about the Child Welfare Leaders podcast. Let them know that we are here to encourage the uh, child welfare professionals in the field and help them um, to find ways that they can change the system um, by leading where they are. Um, Because what we do is not easy work, um, but it is very rewarding. And I just want to keep us encouraged, keep us equipped, keep us educated, but more than anything, keep us empowered. So please take that time to share with uh, your connections. I'd greatly appreciate it. It is free to share. Um, Thank you so much for all the support that you have given me. Truly grateful. You guys take care. Thank you, Leah. Have a good one.